Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Titus and chapter number two. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and in the back part, turn to page 168, and you would be at Titus chapter two. We have a new year before us, a fresh start in a new year, and fresh starts are very, very encouraging. You know, fresh start means it's a new day. And it allows for new beginnings and a break from the past. It's an opportunity to go in a new direction from which we had been. You know, and OU and their football team have a fresh start when it comes to BCS Championship Bowls. Now they've moved into the victory. Yeah, the victory column. And I know they're excited about that fresh start. But fresh starts are very, very encouraging. It's true for football teams that have tried to win in those championship bowl games. It's true of of athletes like shortstop Brendan Ryan, who has been traded from St. Louis to the Seattle Mariners, and he's so excited about his fresh start that he has before him. Fresh starts are very encouraging. It's true of Kelly Jo Brown and her two-year-old daughter, McKenna. You see, Kelly Jo is a battered mom at the hands of her physically abusive husband, and after he broke her nose and gave her a concussion and fractured her ankle and gave her double black eyes, she said, it's time for a fresh start for me and McKenna. Fresh starts are very encouraging, and that's true for all of us because we have one before us. It's a new year that we're entering into And it is a year that allows us some new beginnings and maybe a break from the past and an opportunity to go in a new direction. So we have been, last Sunday and this Sunday, doing a very short series that I have entitled Fresh Start, Perspective for a New Year. Fresh Start, Perspective for a New Year. And what's been emphasized last week and is also going to be emphasized this week is that each day gives us a 1440. Each day, God gives us 1440 minutes. And so on that way, we're all exactly the same as we enter into a new year. And the question that I need to ask, and I think it's one that we all need to wrestle with, is as we go into a new year and a fresh start, and as each day gives us a 1440, are we going to carelessly spend that 1440 Or are we going to wisely invest that 1440? In fact, when you look at a whole year of 1440s, we have the prospect before us of 525,600 minutes. Now, already more than 2,100 of those are gone. And so the question we need to be wrestling with is, what are we going to do with the remaining 500,000-some minutes that are laid before us in this new year. Now, last week, we looked at, as we talked about a fresh start, a prayer for the new year. And that prayer was that we would learn more deeply. And we were in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And you can go to the website if you missed that message. But today, as we talk about a fresh start, we want to look at a challenge for the new year. 
And that challenge is to live more wisely. To live more wisely in the year ahead than we did in the year behind. Now, I don't need to convince you that we live in difficult and dark days. We live in a time in our culture where abortion is just extremely common, and that is nothing more than a murder of convenience. We live in a time in our culture where families are being attacked, the family is under attack, people are walking away with almost no thought from their marriages, kids are being wounded and hurt. We live in a time of mushrooming humanism. We see it emanating from our schools, it's emanating from our government. We live in a time in which materialism is constantly clutching at us and frequently corralling new victims. We live in a, in a, a dark and difficult time. We see sexuality getting to be out of control. Sexuality beyond the bounds of what God designed has now infected our television and our movies. It's certainly invaded the internet. And also that out of control sexuality is also invaded the church. So here's the question, how do we live in the face of this encroaching darkness of our culture? How do we live and get a fresh start in a new year? And the answer really is very simple. We live the way that God directs us to live. And if you have your Bibles open, I want you to look at chapter 2 of Titus at verses 11 to 14. In fact, I'm going to read them and would invite you to read along with me as I read this out loud. Notice it says, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds." Now, as we read those verses out of chapter 2, we're basically just diving right into the book, and I want to just set a little context here. In chapter 2, Paul is giving exhortations to a group of people. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he gives an exhortation to Titus. In verse 2, he gives an exhortation to the older men. In verse 3, he gives an exhortation to the older women, and some of you are thinking, I prefer the term mature women. In verses 4 and 5, he gives an exhortation to the younger women, 6 to 8, the young men, and verses 9 and 10, the slaves. And so you see he's giving these exhortations to basically every group in the church. And then you come down to verse 11, and we have this little word there in English, the word for. And what he's going to do is he's going to now introduce the reason behind these exhortations. He's really going to highlight for us what I believe is the core of the Christian life. And we're talking about a challenge for the new year, and that challenge is to live more wisely. And I want you to just see the outline of these verses. There's really three elements in this challenge for a new year to live more wisely. The first element is in verse 11, and that is Christ's past work. 
what God has done for us. And the focus in talking about that is our motivation. Another element in this challenge for the new year to live more wisely is our present responsibility, how we are to live. And the focus there is going to be on our choices. And then in verses 13 and 14, when we talk about a challenge for the new year to live more wisely, another element is our future perspective, which involves what is to come. And the focus there is on our outlook that we ought to have as we live through a new year. So those are the elements we're going to look at. What I want to do is take a few moments to look at each one of those elements as we look at a fresh start, perspective for a new year, and a challenge to live more wisely. So let's begin by looking at Christ's past work, what God has done, which involves our motivation. Now I want you to understand as he talks about this, in verse 11, it's really the motivation for all of these previous exhortations. He gives this whole series of exhortations, but it all is tying back to what he wants to talk about as our motivation to wisely utilize the 1440 we have in a year before us. So look at verse 11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. You remember, God's grace is His undeserved favor. It's what God gives to you and to me when we believe in Jesus Christ that we never deserve to receive in the first place. And the grace of God in the New Testament is very clearly to be the core motivation for the Christian life. Now, there's a very interesting use of the, the verb here in verse 11. It says, the grace of God has appeared. It's a very picturesque verb. It, it's, it, it was used of the, the sun when it's all dark, and the sun would just appear at dawn, where it suddenly brings light to the darkness. And that's the picture here of the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared. His grace dawns in your life and mine as we are in spiritual darkness, and His grace brings this light. It says in verse 11, bringing salvation to all men. This is the most wonderful thing about biblical Christianity, is that salvation is available to all people. It doesn't make any difference what your status or your background is, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you have a religious heritage or you don't whether you have mistakes and failings and shortcomings, it makes no difference. His grace dawns, bringing salvation to all people. And the specifics of His grace towards you and me are unpacked a little more if you let your eyes go down to verse 14. Talking about our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And this picture is one that we have talked about in previous times at Wildwood. The picture is that before we came to trust in Christ as our deliverer, we were in bondage. And he, you know, the Bible says that we were helpless. We were without hope. And he steps forward and says, I will redeem you I will pay the price to buy you out of bondage. And you remember that that price was his own blood. 
So it's important that we understand that what he has done is to be our motivation. His grace that dawned in your life and mine is to be our motivation. It's our motivation to praise him. It's our motivation to get out of bed and face our life responsibilities. It's our motivation to be available to be used by him. It's our motivation to be looking for opportunities to serve other people. It's our motivation to want to live a life that is honoring to him and pleasing to him. Now, I want to ask you a question, and it'll I'm not asking for a response. I just want you to think about this in your heart as we have a fresh start in a new year. Does the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ still motivate you? I mean, does it motivate you on a daily basis? Does the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ still affect how you live your life? Does it have an effect on the choices that you make? That's a great question to wrestle with because, you see, that's ultimately the core of our motivation. By the way, if you need a little refresher course on the grace of God, I might encourage you uh, to jot down Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and just spend a little time meditating there this next week. Spend a little quiet time with God because it unpacks for us the amazing story of his grace appearing, dawning to bring light into our life to deliver us from the darkness that we were in. And so we're looking at a challenge for a new year that we would live more wisely. And the first element in that is Christ's past work. That's our motivation, but there's a second element in that challenge, and that is our present responsibility, which he lays out for us in verse 12. This is how we are to live our life. This involves our choices, our actions. Now, I know that you know this, but I'm going to say it again anyway because we need to be reminded of it, and that is this. The aim of the gospel of the grace of God was to be more than delivering us from judgment and death. The aim of the gospel of the grace of God that dawned in your life had its aim to be doing more than delivering you from judgment and death. Part of the aim of the gospel of the grace of God is that it was to impact our conduct. Part of the aim is to influence our lifestyle. Very interesting technique is being used in verses 11 and 12. Notice he says, the grace of God has appeared. And then he says in verse 12, instructing us. You see, the grace of God is personified here. And it says, the grace of God is instructing us. It's teaching us. It's training us. And it's teaching and instructing and training us that because of his grace, there are some things that we are to avoid, and because of his grace, there are some things that we are to embrace. There's some negative things that we're to lay aside. There are some positive things that we are to pick up in our life. Let's look at those. The grace of God has appeared, verse 12, instructing us and teaching us to deny some things. 
When we talk about denying, we mean to refuse them, to reject them, to abandon them. I like the way the NIV translates it here. It says, the grace of God has appeared teaching us to say no to some things. See, because of His grace, there are some things that we're to say no to. Let's look at that. The first thing he says we are to deny or to abandon or to say no to is ungodliness. Now, that's a word that's out there that I think a lot of times we don't have a good handle on. What does it mean when it says ungodliness? Well, ungodliness basically means that God is deleted out, that God is not acknowledged. And when we go through our day basically deleting God out of our consciousness, or we even go through our week and we're not really acknowledging Him, that is an expression of ungodliness. Ungodliness is just when God is deleted. God is not acknowledged. Ungodliness is, is at the core of secular evolutionary thought. You know, where it just says, well, we, we came from lizards, and then we were apes, and then we were here, and all they're doing is deleting God out of it. They're not acknowledging God as the creator of the universe. Now, if you would keep your finger here in Titus 2, and turn with me to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, and chapter number 1, and we're going to see here that Paul gives us some of the manifestations of ungodliness. In this whole section, and we could spend a lot of time here, but I just want to highlight a few things. Notice in Romans 1, in verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what he goes on to describe in this chapter are some of those expressions, those manifestations of ungodliness. Notice... Um, in verse 26, he says, For this reason God gave them over to decrading passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving it in their own persons, the due penalty of their error. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And notice in verse 28, he says, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. See, this is ungodliness. They deleted God out of the equation. And then he goes on to make a list of some of these expressions of what ungodliness looks like in verses 29 to 31. Just interesting, this is what ungodliness actually looks like, and it may look a little different than you think. It includes things like wickedness and, and greed and being full of envy and strife, which really means quarreling and bickering, and being deceitful. See, that's ungodliness. Malice, being mean-spirited. Uh, being slanderers, slanderers just basically saying harmful things that downgrade other people, being arrogant, being boastful, uh, being proud and going around bragging all the time. Those are all expressions of ungodliness. How about this one, being disobedient to parents? You know, for those of us who are younger and still in, under the care of our parents, you ever think about how being disobedient to parents is an expression, a manifestation of ungodliness? 
being unloving, being cruel, being unmerciful. See, what he's saying is those are things the grace of God instructs us we are to say no to. Go back to Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared instructing us to deny ungodliness, to say no to that, but also to say no to worldly desires. What's that referring to? Well, some of the cravings that are characteristic of this world system. Let me just give you some of those that I think fall into worldly desires, cravings that are characteristic of the world. They would include things like sensuality. What do I mean by sensuality? I mean the sexual pursuit of sexual interests outside of a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. See, that is part of the cravings of the world. And we're to say no to sensuality. Uh, That means the wrong kinds of movies. We say no to those things. The wrong kinds of relationships, relationships that are not godly relationships, we say no to those things. We talk about worldly desires, the cravings that are characteristic of the world. Another one I think that would fit in there would be materialism. And again, materialism sometimes just gets to be so mysterious to us in our mind, but really what materialism means is that we desire things more than we desire God. See, that's what materialism really is. And if you want to know one of the key measures of whether or not we've fallen victim to the clutching of materialism, here's one of the key measures. Do I give and invest in the kingdom of God? Let me just be frank. If you put nothing in the offering, if you do not give regularly to the kingdom of God, what are you really saying to him? Stuff is more important to me than you. And we're to say no to those kinds of cravings, the cravings of materialism. Another thing that would fall into worldly desires would be the unbridled pursuit of personal pleasure. Now, that doesn't mean that we, God doesn't want us to have pleasure. I, I hope over the holidays you had some pleasure, some pleasure in seeing maybe some of your family and some of your friends and some pleasure in some of the things that you ate. I know I had far too much pleasure in that regard over the last holidays. Now I have to unpleasure myself in some ways. God's not against pleasure, but it's this unbridled pursuit of personal pleasure where we say that my pleasure, my happiness has a higher priority to me than God's kingdom. It has a higher priority than God's reputation. It has a higher priority than honoring him. See, it's this unbridled pursuit of personal pleasure. That's, That's the reason why so many people are just walking out of their marriages. I don't care. I want to be happy. This unbridled pursuit of personal pleasure gets expressed in all kinds of ways. It might mean that we spend a whole lot more time with the internet and television than we really do with our family relationships. Why? Because we're just pursuing personal pleasure. You know, it gets expressed where we find ourselves, sometimes we can be in the situation where we're surrounded by new stuff. Man, we've got new stuff. I'm into all this new stuff. And I've got no ministry. I'm touching nobody else's life. I'm not serving anyone else. Why? Because I'm into this pursuit of personal pleasure. It may be expressed in this way where we're off getting high 
on things that we shouldn't be getting high on. We're off getting intoxicated. What's the issue? And when people are doing that in our culture, and they're doing that all around us, why are they doing that? Because of this unbridled pursuit of personal pleasure. And what the grace of God is training us and instructing us to do is to say no to ungodliness and to say no to worldly desires. Now, every once in a while, people say to me, well, how do you say no? Man, that seems really complicated that you say no. Well, how we say no comes down to one word, and that is our choices. You see, our choices determine our direction. Choices, I like to say, are a little bit like switch tracks, you know, on the railroad tracks. You have this switch track that's there, and if you you keep going this direction, you will end up in one place. But if the switch track, you make a choice to switch it over here, you end up in another direction and another outcome. That's what choices really are like. The choices that you and I are going to make in this new year will determine where we end up. Our choices determine where we are going and what we will become. And so when we we talk about saying no to things, we're talking about our choices, where we choose to be peaceable rather than quarreling and bickering, where we choose in our language towards people in our family and even others to be one that builds people up rather than language that tears people down. We make the choice to be trustworthy and obedient rather than being untrustworthy and disobedient. We make the choice to say, I want the priority to be what God wants, not what I want. You see, that's a choice that we make. Where we choose abstinence rather than indulgence outside of a married relationship. Where we choose that I'm going to give some money to the kingdom of God rather than just adding more to my personal stuff. Nothing wrong with personal stuff, but there's still these choices that we make where we make choices to serve other people rather than just focusing on myself all the time. So how do we say no? It's all a matter of choices, and all of those choices are like little switches in the tracks, and the choices we make will lead us to different destinations and different outcomes. So there are some things that the grace of God is instructing us to say no to. But I want you to see also, it is also instructing us that there are some things that we're to say yes to. As we make a fresh start in a new year, as we seek to live more wisely. Notice, he says in verse 12, it's instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and it's teaching us to say yes to living sensibly. Living literally, soberly. This, the idea behind saying yes to living sensibly just means that we are aware, that we are alert, that we're alert, that God is giving us 1,440 every day, and when it's gone, it's gone. I've already stated several times, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to turn 60 this next month on the 23rd, and it's just I don't know, it's just making me fully realize, whoa, I only have so many, by the grace of God, so many 1440s left. And when it's gone, 
It's gone, and it makes you want to redeem the time. We are to say yes to living sensibly. And that really means that we need to be aware. I know we're aware up here somewhere, but I'm talking about aware right down here. That God has left us on this planet with a mission. I mean, do you think about that on a weekly basis? You know, it's not just a situation where God has left you on the planet after you've come to know him personally, and he's just saying, you know, I, I don't know what I, I don't know what, Bruce just needs to, you know, click off his minutes and, you know, we'll welcome him home. But, you know, in the meantime, just kind of keep yourself a little busy. That's not the way it works. He has a mission involved for you if you know him personally. He's left you here on a mission. And part of that mission is to be salt and light, to let our light shine in our homes and our community and the world that people can look into our families and go, there's something different here. There's a dynamic at work. And as we work in the community and we work around the world, that we're on this mission, and it's a mission to point people to Jesus Christ. We're to say yes to living sensibly. Secondly, he says there in verse 12, we're to say yes to living righteously, to living the right kind of a life, a life that is pure and above board. And that means on our job, whether our job is to be an executive or whether our job is working behind a counter somewhere. You see, we're to live the right kind of life, above board life. Same thing true at school. Oh, everybody's cheating. Everybody's cutting corners. Everybody, you know, wait a minute now. We're to say yes to living righteously, the right kind of life. Living righteously involves living a life that is pure and holy. That means in the personal life, we're to say yes to that. Even when no one sees us, even when there's nobody around to sort of motivate us, it's the grace of God that's teaching us and training us live righteously. We're to say yes, he says very clearly here, to living sensibly and living righteously. And then he says, also say yes to living godly. We're living godly when our life is focused around the person of Jesus Christ. When part of our devotion to him is one to obey him and the things that he commands us to do. When we are devoted to honoring him, when we're living our life, it doesn't make any difference what day it is or what minute we're spending, that we're honoring him and living in light of his presence. Because you see, he's there. You go out on a date, he's there. You're home alone and no one sees, he's there. Living godly means that we're honoring him and living light of his presence and we're glorifying him. We want to honor his life through us. We're to say yes, very definitely say yes to living sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. So we're looking at this challenge for a new year, which is to live more wisely in the year ahead than we did before. And part of that challenge is Christ's past work, what he has done. That is really our motivation. It also involves our present responsibility. That's how we live. That's our choices. But there's one other element in this challenge, and that is our future perspective, which is laid out in verses 13 and 14. That's what's to come. This is our outlook that we are to have as we go into a new year, a fresh start. 
Notice he says in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The idea here of the verb is that we're really anticipating this. There's this anxious anticipation of the potential of his arrival. And, and you know, you see a lot of these stories right now in the news, and we have a number of families here at Wildwood where we have a family member deployed. And what happens when the deployed member is coming back? I mean, the anticipation, the anxious anticipation of them coming. Or maybe you haven't seen a, a friend for a long, long time, a very good friend, and you know they're going to be flying into the airport, and, and you, just this anxious anticipation of, of getting to see them again. And thus we are to have the same kind of anticipation regarding the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come back. Remember, Mark talked about this if you were here just last time we were together before Christmas. He is coming back. Now, it could be in 200,000 minutes. It could be in 200 minutes. It could be in 20 minutes. But he is coming back. And when that is your outlook, you see, it will color everything that you do in life. Let me just illustrate it for you. For example, if I said to you, Jesus Christ is coming back next Friday, of course, no one really knows, but let's just assume for a moment that was accurate. Would that make a difference in the way you chose to live your life? Of course it would. Well, you see, that is to be our outlook every day. He is coming back. Now, we've been looking at this challenge for the new year, living more wisely. Now, when we follow the directive that we have here in Titus chapter 2, I want you to see what the result is of living more wisely. I want you to see what the result is when we make the choices to say no to certain things and we make the choices to say yes to certain things and when we have his potential return as our outlook. What does all that result in? Well, notice it says we end up at the end of verse 14 being a people for his own possession. We're God's special possession and then it says, zealous for good deeds. That's where you end up being. I like the NIV again here. It says we are eager to do what is good. And I was looking at that, and I thought, you know, that's an interesting question to ask yourself. Eager to do what is good. Is, is that a label that someone would tag you with? Eager to do what is good? Is that a label someone would tag me with? But you see, ultimately, that is to be the outcome as we work our way through all of these elements that we become just God's special possession, his prized possession, and that we're zealous for good deeds, we're eager to do what is good. 
You know, I, I saw it a number of years ago, and it was a television program called How Did They Do That? And I, I'll never forget this one because it so stirred me, it so inspired me. It takes us back to a time when we had the, the, the great riots in Los Angeles, and some of you will remember this. But what we had was a certain group of, of, of rowdy African-Americans who were rioting. And the riot began to get out of control. And this white truck driver by the name of Reginald Denny just happened to drive his truck right into the middle of this riot. And if you remember the story, what is actually happening is there was live TV going on of the riot, and on live TV you see people pulling Reginald Denny out of the truck and beating him senseless, virtually to the edge of having beaten him to death. Now, here's what was interesting about that story. There were four African-American people who were sitting in their living room watching this happen like so many other people were. But you know what they did? They got up out of their living room and they made a beeline right for that area where Reginald Denny was being beaten up. Two of the people who came were a brother and a sister. And later on when they were asked why they came, they said this, we're Christians and we've been called to make a difference. And one of our goals is to emulate the Good Samaritan. Now, if I remember the story correctly, it was the brother and the sister who managed to get Reginald Denny out of the clutches of the mob and get him back up into his truck. Now, the two others that came were a male and a female. They drove 15 minutes to get there. And when the gal got there, Reginald Denny was in his truck but his eyes were swollen shut from being beaten. And so what she did is she stood on the cab step and told Reginald Denny, you drive to the hospital and I will be your eyes. And they had driven along a little while when this second guy um, arrived on the scene. He was a truck driver and he basically told Reginald Denny, move over, man, and I'll drive you straight to the hospital. After they'd gotten to the hospital and talked to the doctors later on, they were told, if you'd arrived one minute later, Reginald Denny would have been dead. You see, I, 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 I've never gotten over that story because those are some people who were not passive recipients of the blessings that God had given to them. And they were not passive recipients of grace. Rather, they wanted to be channels through which the grace of God could come. You see, to impact the lives of other people. And we have a fresh start before us, and fresh starts are very encouraging. In one sense, it doesn't make any difference what went on in the past. Listen, it doesn't really make any difference. This is not about someone feeling bad or guilty or down about last year. This is looking forward to the fresh start. And fresh starts, men and women, are encouraging. Just like the fresh start of shortstop Brendan Ryan who's very excited about the fresh start he's going to have with the Mariners this next season. Just like Kelly Jo Brown and, and her daughter McKenna are very excited about the fresh start that they have before them of a life free from abuse. And so it's true for each one of us. We have a fresh start before us, don't we? 500,000 plus minutes, Lord willing, 
in the next year. And the challenge is for us to live more wisely in the year that is ahead than we did in the year behind us. We all have the same 1440, but let's choose to live more wisely. And by the way, the choices begin right now, not some distant part later in the month. And I have, in terms of some life response for us to have today, I have two words, two life responses we can have to what we've studied today. The first one is identify. The second is investigate. Now, if you don't write things down, that's okay, but this is where you want to begin to write things down because this is applying what we have been teaching and what God has been showing us. Life response number one, identify one significant change. I'm not trying to overwhelm you, but identify one significant change as you make a fresh start in the new year. It may be a change at work. It may be a change at school. It may be something that you make a specific plan about. I'm going to watch less television than I did in the past year. It may be uh, we want to have a date night together as a couple. It may be I want to spend more time really listening to my children this year. Maybe it means that, maybe it means that for some of us that we're going to lay aside some drugs and some alcohol that we've been abusing and say, that's a change I'm going to make in the new year. And I was thinking about this for myself, and I want to share with you uh, one change that I, I, I've been already practicing even before we got into the new year. And, and I was just thinking about this. I thought, you know, I mean, I'm very faithful to pray and give thanks for my food, but I really realized one day, it's like God just knocked on my, my door a little bit. He said, you know what, you're really not. Oh, you know, you go through the mechanical thing. I mean, we go through the mechanical thing, you pray. But I really wasn't thankful. So I said, one of the things I'm going to do differently is rather than, okay, we do the little prayer of thanks and then immediately, you know, you're eating away. And so I just, it's not very long, but I said, you know what, I'm just going to pause. And for one thing, I'm going to think about how hungry I am and how there's people around the world who don't have an opportunity to have their hunger abated. And then secondly, I just want to, and it's just a matter of seconds I'm talking about, I just want to savor. I want to think about the bite that I'm first going to start taking and, and let my mouth water just a little bit. And it's been amazing how much my gratitude level has, has risen rather than just mechanically going through all of that. So identify one significant change. Second, life response. Investigate one new ministry opportunity. Investigate one new ministry opportunity where you'd be less a passive recipient, you see, and more of a channel of the grace of God. Where you just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? You know, how can I touch some other people's lives? How do you want me to be involved in being fruitful in doing good deeds? A number of years ago, I came across this little saying. I've always enjoyed it. It goes like this. Time was, you have not, cannot it recall. Time will be, is not, and may not be at all. Time is, you have it, use it best of all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word. 
we thank you for this reminder of the challenge for a new year to live more wisely. And Father, we just thank you so much that you teach us like this, that you remind us like this, that you show us what you want us to be before the world. And while we're on this planet, we would pray that we would say no to the things you want us to say no to, that we would say yes to the things you want us to say yes to. And we would pray that the outcome of all of that would not only be that time gets used wisely and that we live wisely, but that Jesus Christ gets honored by it all. Because that's really our motivation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.